We are continuing our series today, Heartbeat of the Hill, uh, where we are going through our mission, our, the vision we feel God has given us, and our values. We talked about our mission, why do we exist? Awakening people from death to life in Christ. This is why we exist. We are not simply a social club. We are here on a mission. The vision, what we believe God is calling us to, developing spiritually healthy families and spiritually healthy leaders. And then our values, we started into those last week. It's sort of the idea of who God is making us or who we are becoming. You could also say our values are our key convictions. And last week we looked at the fact that our conviction, our value is that Christ is the catalyst. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And then today we look at our second value, which is time in the word. Time in the word. And so as we get ready to unpack this idea of this value, uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. If you're unfamiliar with Psalm 119, it is the longest chapter of any book of the Bible. It is actually as long as some of the entire books in the New Testament, some of the smaller letters. There are 176 verses. Let me give you just a couple of things uh, for understanding Psalm 119 in your LifePoint outline. Uh, number one, understand that it is Hebrew wisdom poetry. It's a psalm, it's, it's a poem, but there's a wisdom element conveyed into it. In fact, Psalm 119 is so complex that it has wisdom characteristics of both praise, lament, uh, I mean, just so many. It's a really complex uh, poem. The second thing you'll notice there is that it is formatted in an acrostic using all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Which means this, every eight verses, if, this was in, if we were reading this in the original language, the first line of every verse would begin with a successive letter of the alphabet. For instance, it would be A, and then eight verses that begin with a word starting with the letter A, and then the next eight verses, B, and then eight verses beginning with the first word, the letter B made me wonder what the psalmist would do with the American alphabet when he got to X. I guess X-ray our heart, oh God, xylophones play praise to you. I, I don't know. I mean, they would figure it out, right? I've only got two. I don't know what the other eight would be. But that's sort of the, the idea is that it is uh, laid out eight verses at a time, a different letter beginning. The, the idea here is essentially... God, God's word is to be praised and to be honored. It's an ode to his word from A to Z. It's almost to say I can't give every word imaginable, but every word is included in honor of the Lord and in honoring his word A to Z through this, this format. The third thing there is it is a celebration of God's law. That sounds maybe a little bit weird to us that we would celebrate God's law, but it is 176 verses proclaiming that God's law is good and a delight 
and it is to be loved and obeyed, and we'll walk through that. The other thing you should know is that there are seven synonyms used for the law. So you have law, which would be the Torah, and then you have these additional synonyms that are used interchangeably. Decree, statute, command, precept, ordinance, promise, and word. Now there are some minute differences and emphasis, but in this, in the use of Psalm 119, it is meant to be interchangeable for a flow of language. And so when you come to Psalm 119, if you've never just sat down and read verses 1 to 176, this week I want to encourage you to do that and to take it slow because as you read it and the more often that you read it, you cannot help but have this wellspring of love for God's law, for his word. See, when we talk about time in the word as a value, what we're essentially saying is this. God has revealed himself to us through his word and how to live. He has mercifully chosen to reveal himself through his Word. Do you understand? This hit me a few years ago. God did not have to reveal himself to us. It was out of his own mercy that over hundreds of years, multiple authors, through his inspiration, he crafted a single narrative of redemption, revealing himself to us and how we can have relationship with him. We should not take it for granted because he did not have to do it. And so therefore, when we say we spend time in the word, we are saying we understand that God has communicated to us through his word, his inspired, inerrant word. And so with that, when we think about time in the word, you may have heard of people having a life verse. Just out of curiosity, anybody have a life verse? I'm not going to ask you to quote it or anything, so you can, and I won't check. But yeah, several, several people in the room have what is called a life verse. I, I have a life verse. Um, it's, for some people, it's a little bit of a strange one. I was telling the staff earlier this week that when I was in seminary, I was in a hermeneutics class, which is the study of how to interpret the Bible. And the professor asked everybody to stand up and think of your favorite book of the Bible. And then he would call out books of the Bible and have people sit down. And because it was seminary, the first one he threw out was Romans and like three-quarters of the people sit down because they think themselves theologians. And so just over and over he kept calling out books of the Bible until I was the last one standing. And because my favorite verse, my life verse, comes out of the book of Esther. And that was not very common for, I guess, seminary students. Uh, and so ignorance is sometimes good that you don't know those things going in. But Esther chapter 4, verse 14, and I don't have the time to go into why this is so meaningful to me, but it has been key over the course of my life. If you remember this story just very briefly, the children of Israel are in peril. There is a mark of death upon them, but Esther is in the king's house, and her uncle Mordecai comes and says, Maybe God has put you into the palace for such a time as this. 
And for me, that idea that God is so sovereign that he would direct our steps for such a time as this has just guided me. And in the same way, that I, I mention a life verse to give us a microcosm of this macro value for our church, which is the word has the power to guide us into life. And for many in the room, we understand that. We honored LeVan earlier, someone who embodies teaching God's word faithfully for decades. And many of you have done the same, whether with children, youth, or adults. We spend time in the Word. There is a reason for the last 50 years neither myself nor Pastor John has stood up and used any other text other than His Word because we value spending time in the Word. And so with that, let me unpack why we value spending time in the Word here at Harmony Hill. The key point is this. The Lord uses the Word to lead us to life. The Lord uses the Word to lead us to life. And I'm going to unpack what I mean by that over the next few moments. So if that's the key point, that He leads us through the Word to life, the first sort of supporting statement to that and how is, number one, God uses the Bible to reveal Himself to us. God uses the Bible to reveal Himself to us. I'm going to read not all 176, but I'm going to read the first eight verses of Psalm 119. We'll be referencing verses all over 119, but the Aleph or the A stanza says this, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. This is just one of the 22 stanzas, and it reminds us that the Lord uses his word to reveal himself to us. When you think about God's word, this is, all analogies break down at some point, but think of it as this. It is as if the mind of God, what he has chosen to reveal to himself, has been placed into this word. We understand this from things like uh, a diary. When you find someone's diary, whether you snatched, you know, a sibling's diary to find out who their crush was or whatever, right, you're looking to find out what's inside of them. There are some famous diaries. Of course, the most famous is the diary of Anne Frank, many of whom in this room we've read or studied in school at some point. As she wrote down her experience in the life of her family uh, in the middle of great peril. There are other famous diaries that I was not aware of. Uh, you can Google famous diaries and find all kinds of things. But there's a lady named Emily Davis who was a free African-American woman living in Philadelphia during the time of the Civil War. And she was writing down her experience, what was going on in her mind from that position 
when she heard the Emancipation Proclamation, when the Civil War is raging, when it ends, when Lincoln is assassinated, and then the day-to-day of what that is like. We would have no idea other than someone took what their experience, what was in their mind, and wrote it down. Another famous diary is the scientist Marie Curie, famous, probably the most famous female scientist, uh, groundbreaking slash uh, breaking, you know, glass ceilings, etc. And she wrote down a diary. Interestingly enough, because of the type of things she worked on. Um, Her diary has to be kept in a lead vault because it is still radioactive. But she writes down uh, thoughts about her process of science, but also about her love for her husband, Pierre. And when he dies, how she begins to lose interest in her work, and then it is reinvigorated, and most of her entries are to my dear Pierre, just catching him up as if talking to him. Over and over. We understand the principle, right? A diary gives us insight into the inner workings of someone. The Word is God revealing Himself, giving us a picture that we would not have on our own. And He reveals His own character and His plan of salvation. Again, I can't read all 176. I encourage you to do that. But you see uh, in verses like 41, 89 and 90, 123, 142, and I could have listed a lot more, but we just didn't, okay? But you have things where it describes his steadfast love, his steadfast love, his enduring love. You find things like he is eternal and his word endures forever. We learn about his character. Um, I love this one. It says that we long for salvation and the fulfillment of its promise. That's so fascinating to me that that would take place in Psalm 119. The psalmist would say, I long for your salvation according to the fulfillment of your promise. Taking just that one verse and bringing it to the entirety of the Bible, we understand this. God's word has revealed his plan of salvation. How else would we know that we are sinners separated from him? Now, maybe we could look around and figure it out, but how would we know that we were created in perfection by him and that it was sin that ruined it and that God had a plan starting with a promise to a guy named Abram, soon to be Abraham, a promise that God would bless this older, barren couple with descendants that would rival the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore, and that through that promise would come one who would bless all nations. How else would we know that that would take place and then through the 12 tribes that Judah would be chosen at the scepter of the king would never pass out of his line. And how would we know that it was David who exemplified the best version or foreshadowing of a true king, a man after God's own heart, but even he was broken and sinful. And so there was one yet to come, but promise there will always be one who sits on the throne of David. And then you run into the New Testament, and Matthew starts with just the craziest thing to, in my mind. You've got the story of Jesus, and he starts with a genealogy to say the promise continues. 
and that Jesus is born of a virgin. And so that God is the one who is putting the seed of Jesus into Mary so that he is fully God and fully man, the only perfect sacrifice. How else would we know that he is resurrected and that his penalty on the cross was forgiveness of sin and that his resurrection conquers sin, death, and hell? And how would we know even about the future lest God revealed that he is coming back and he is going to make all things right and there will come a day when we all stand before the Lord and the only question that will matter is what did you do with my son Jesus? How would we know unless God revealed it to us? And so yes, time in the word is a conviction. It is a value for Harmony Hill Baptist Church that we may know his plan and his character for our life. But secondly, the Lord uses the word to lead us to life by revealing himself to us. But secondly, God uses the Bible to reveal the intended way of life for those who belong to him. He reveals his intended way of life for those who belong to him. I want to just make sure that there's not any confusion here. I have said many times uh, over these last few weeks, rules don't bring life. Christ brings life. So it may sound somewhat contradictory, some of the things I'm about to say, but I want you to understand what matters is the order and the intent of dealing with God's law or his rules, precepts, commands, ordinances. We do not enter into relationship with God by keeping rules. We enter relationship with God. We are awakened from death to life in Christ by grace through faith, not by works. Otherwise, some of us would be popping our collar and going, look what I did to earn salvation. And it is God, it is Christ who deserves. He's the one that did all the work. It is a gift. But once we have been made alive, the second part of our mission, awakened from death to life, Jesus said, I came to give you life abundantly. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. The law will not pass away, not one dot of an I or a cross of a T, jot or tittle, as he says. And so it is about how we start is in grace through faith. But once we are made alive, we understand that God has laid out his word for us to obey so that we would experience life. It's sort of this idea of the way of life. We understand it. Yesterday, uh, many of you watched college football or got excited about college football. Some of you are like, oh, that's back again. That's where my husband was or my wife was, whatever it may be, right? But when you go to college, for those that have experienced that, or you become a fan of a team, you must become aware or oriented to the way of life for that school. As someone who did not grow up in Texas, let me just say, I know you are aware of this, but for other non-originating Texans, if you have not picked it up, college football is a big deal in Texas. And every team has a way of life indicated by one way 
of hand gestures. I have never seen more schools in one state with their own hand gesture. And I apologize if I get any of these wrong. I had to watch a video to try to learn some of these. But this one, Gig'em, right? Okay, so some of you know that one. Then there's the Longhorn. Then there is uh, Red Raiders. Monty where, Monty, where are you at, man? I thought you were, there we go. Okay, okay, there we go. Then you've got the Baylor Bears, got the Claw. Then, like, something weird happened with the University of Houston, and they, like, got an injured paw or something like that. Uh, something, something right over here. Okay, Dr. Scalin. Um, you've got uh, SMU, and I don't even know how to do it because it's a peace sign with slightly bent fingers. Because if you go too, too bent, now you've entered into TCU as a horn frog. <laughs> Look, we have, all, and then you've got one that I don't even remember which school this was, but it's like they just thought they'd take the best of both worlds. It's like a claw on one hand and Texas on the other. Like you got to do double. Got to do double. And then I believe uh, Axum, Jack, in it, two Texas or one, you know, something like that. Yeah. Look, we got so many hand gestures, but when you go to one of those schools, the first thing they do is try to teach you the way of life of that school. They teach you the hand gesture, the fight song. They teach you the tailgating tips. They teach you what you do when the kickoff and the yells and all those sorts of things. It's a way of life. And I just demonstrated by some of those signals, yells back or cheer. Like you immediately identified with them. Why do we think that God's kingdom would be any different than something as fun but let's be honest, as insignificant eternally as college football. And so God says, I have given you my word that you would know the way of life. You'd be oriented to the way of life for those who belong to him. Just quickly, a couple of things you see, a couple of these verses, 1 through 3, 9, 18, 33, 37, 97, 25. Here's a couple of things in the verses I read, in verses 1 through 3, you notice that those who obey his law, who walk in his law, are blessed. Blessed are those who walk in the way of righteousness, or blessed are those who walk in the way of the Lord. Verse 9, this is a question that consumes so many of us, and it's a simple question buried right here in 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young woman... Let's be honest, how can any of us keep our way pure? Well, by guarding it according to your word. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. You notice too, um, the most famous probably verse, it was in one of the songs we sang earlier in verse 105. I'll read it for you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This imagery of how do we go about life? How do we walk through this life? God's word is a light in darkness. It shows us where to step. It shows us how to stay on the path. In verses 33 and 37, the idea of open my eyes to the wonders of your law. When was the last time we prayed as we opened God's word? God, open my eyes to the wonders that are in your law. And then as you move forward, he says, the psalmist, through 176 verses, lays out there are challenges. There are enemies at the gate. There is affliction happening towards him. 
And he says, God, by your word, by your precepts, by your ordinances, by your commands, help me not to look at worthless things, but to focus on your statutes. God, would you turn my heart away from wickedness that I may focus on life through your commands. It is a way of life. It's a way of life. That is why it is a value. We spend time in the word here at Harmony Hill so that we may live according to his word. The third point is this. God uses his word to bring us to life or lead us to life. And number three, God uses the Bible to give us strength, comfort, and hope in times of distress. God uses the Bible to give us strength, comfort, and hope in times of distress. That's one of the things I like about Psalm 119 is it does not shy away from the fact that life is hard. And sometimes life is even hard because we are seeking to obey his commands. Because it goes against what those who do not belong to him are going. It's upstream. I was thinking recently about how, how this truth has played out in the life of this church and, and in my own life. When our, when our team was in Niger, there was a little bit of distress. <laughs> Not for the team. They were actually doing great. They were right in the middle of God's will, doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. But for us here, there was some discomfort, <laughs> to say the least. But you know what helped me? God's Word. Being in His Word and being reminded that He is in control. That that team was there for such a time as this. That we were gathered for such a time as this. What brought me incredible comfort was gathering nightly and just reading out of the Psalms and praying to the only one who had any control. And he brought comfort and strength and encouragement in the time of distress. In Psalm 119, you'll see some of these other verses, 25, 28, 49 to 52. Um, I sound like Mr. Hubbard back there doing his auctioneering. But here are a couple of, of verses here. It says this. The psalmist says, He melted with sorrow but clung to God's word. He says that God's word was his hope in affliction. He even acknowledges, I went astray, but you brought me back. And then he even says this, it was good that you afflicted me so that I may learn your word. He said, the wicked have laid a snare for me, but I hope in your promises. He says, God, in my distress and affliction, you are my hiding place and my shield. God's word brings strength and comfort. In verse 49, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. 52, when I think of your rules, I take comfort, O Lord. We value time in the word here on the hill. 
whether that's in a life group, whether that's in this space, whether that's with our children or our youth, in a D group. Honestly, even in meetings that happen among your staff, we start with devotions and encouragement from God's word because it reveals who he is. It reveals his plan of salvation for the world. It teaches us the way of life for those that belong to him. And we will have affliction and distress, and it gives us strength and comfort and hope in those times. And for that, we value, we are committed, we are convicted that spending time in his word is what we will be about. As I was reading Psalm 119, as you can imagine, as you're preparing for a message, you read the text so many times. And to read 176 verses many, many times this week, all of a sudden, maybe around reading 15, all of a sudden this phrase jumped out at me. This phrase gives me life. And maybe that's because it occurred 16 times in 176 verses, which is a lot in that, that many verses. Or maybe it's because our mission, as stated, is awakening people from death to life in Christ, if his word brings life. And so I have got the 16 verses here. And I, I want you to just, if you will, however God leads you, maybe you want to close your eyes and just meditate as I read these. Maybe you want to... Uh, however you want to respond, but I just want to read these 16 verses, sort of a microcosm of all 176. It says this, listen for the phrase, I may live or give me life. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. 25, my soul clings to the dust, give me life according to your word. 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. 40, behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Give me life. 50, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live. 88, in your steadfast love give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. 93, I will never forget your precepts for by them you have given me life. 107, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. 116, uphold me according to your promise that I may live. 144, your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. 149, O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. 154, plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. 159, consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. 175, let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. Amen. Thank you. That is God's word. That is a conviction he brings life. And so in summary, we believe what the psalmist believes. We are prone to wander from God's way. And so there is wisdom in a deep commitment to God's word that we may experience abundant life in Christ. That we too, like this psalmist would say, I delight in your law, O Lord.
Teach me your word, O God. How I delight in you and your word. I long for your salvation and the fulfillment of its promise. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to be dismissed. But I would encourage you again, read 119, all 176, for it is a conviction. It is a value that we spend time in the Word, for God uses it to bring us and lead us to life. Father, thank you for your Word. We recognize you did not have to give it to us. You did not have to reveal yourself to us, but yet in your mercy and your steadfast love and your patience with us, you did. You revealed your character. You are holy. You are merciful. You are slow to anger, but you are righteous. You are holy. You are just. You cannot leave sin unpunished. And yet, according to your plan, you sent your one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish or not earn the wages of sin, but would gain eternal life. And for that, we give you praise, Father. Lord, may we be a people that live according to the way of life prescribed in your word, not to earn salvation, but because we know you love us and your rules, your ordinances, your promises, your precepts, your statutes are for our good and bring us to life. And God, in our times of distress, may we turn to your word for comfort and strength. Be with us as we go. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.